0: I say, when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents.
1: Hi, Karen Peterson.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 119 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we're just trying to do what we can do uh, in a lot of ways. I am Karen Peterson, joined, as always, by Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. Hello. And we have a lot of stuff that we're pretty excited to talk about today, but before we get into any of that, we have a contest winner! Yay! Um, We have been running the Criterion Contest, and we do have a winner. This person is going to get three months of the Criterion channel, and we will be sending that um, uh, code, access code, this week. So... Uh, the winner is Michelle D, who on Twitter is known as GamecockMitch. So, congratulations, yay! Michelle. We're very excited for you, and we'll be sending that code your way. So,
1: yay! Woohoo! So many good films to watch.
0: I know. You're going to just love it. I can't wait to hear what you watch and what you think. So, all right. Well, before we get into all this many many things that we have to talk about this week lauren how are you
1: i am all right i i am bearing up under everything as i think many many of us are just kind of going like (laughs) what should i be paying attention to Can someone please like give me a list or something like yeah i mean it's been exciting it's uh it's a bit calmer in the neighborhood uh this week but it's it's been really exciting and very important like i'm not trying to minimize that or anything but we've had a lot of new york uh a lot of nypd helicopters flying over our apartment so that's been exciting
0: yeah we've had a lot of helicopters over my neighborhood too it seems like it's died down um although yesterday one of my neighbors decided to celebrate by shooting off a shit ton of fireworks into the sky and i don't know what that was about that was not fun like it sounded like cannons it was crazy
1: I think I think it's just a thing right now, and probably <laughs> we always get lots of fireworks and stuff like that in the in our neighborhood um, just during the summer, just because it's sure, a thing. yeah. But I, I think because so many people are inside <laughs> and there's so much like energy, you can't really get together in big groups or anything like that. So I think people mm-hmm. are just sort of doing things like that to to shoot off steam and everything. It is very exciting, however, to be sitting in your apartment knowing that there are protests going on you know a couple blocks away that the cops have been you know shooting people with rubber bullets and hearing things that sound like they might be gunshots Mm. and sitting there going like are were those fireworks or gunshots and like running out onto our balcony being like do we see any fireworks yes there are the fireworks (laughs) all right so those were not gunshots (laughs) (laughs) by exciting of course you mean like charged
0: moments not like woohoo people are getting shot yes <laughs> Just to clarify
1: <laughs> yes no it's it's very like i mean uh yeah obviously there's a there actually was a, a police shooting that occurred oh. not far from where i live um in kind of deep it's deeper it was deeper into crown heights i live in crown heights but uh we we realized after the fact that we had actually heard the gunshots um oh, so that was that was something it's uh, yeah, it's it's interesting around here. We yeah. also were watching *The uh, Five Bloods* yesterday, mm-hmm. and as we're watching like these guys in the jungles of Vietnam, we're hearing firecrackers going off outside. <laughs> so it was just like, I can't. This is a bit. This is a little too much right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Man, they're really upping the. budget on those effects for these movies nowadays they bring it
1: right to your house (laughs) jeez yeah so
0: yeah well this week has been yeah quieter it's been a lot quieter it's uh i mean i didn't I didn't go to the protests only because I didn't have anybody to go with, and it was one of those things where once the police were showing up and getting violent on people, I was like, yeah, that's not somewhere I should be without a friend. So, Mm -hmm. just because stuff was happening everywhere, and so I didn't go, but I was definitely glued to the TV, watching, donating money, like, trying to do what Mm -hmm. I could, um, which is not very much, and I, I was realizing, man, how... Uh, how helpless I am but also just how uninvolved I've been for way too long like Mm -hmm. so many people have been talking recently about how like well it's not enough to be not racist you have to be anti-racist and I realize I've been firmly in the not racist camp for ever and it's time for me to actually move over and do something so Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of my realization this week but I'm still at that point where I'm figuring out what I can do in my circumstances, and um, I think we're all figuring that out. Um, yeah. The important thing is is to try and to to see what works and see what doesn't. But, um, but yeah, actually, so this week, what we wanted to talk about is obviously this is a film podcast, so we wanted to talk about film and how that can be an engine for social change and there's so much so much to talk about in that regard and it's interesting because just this week we had two pieces of news which you know lately isn't very common that we get any real (laughs) news out of hollywood but this week we had two things that both happened that are both really important um one was there was a big um uh what's the word i'm looking for um well, I'll go with your word, kerfuffle. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> I never, I never know how to put it <laughs> when you because th- because kerfuffle seems seems like oh that's really like diminishing and things, but I was just like but it's not like a fight. It's not it's not I... really a debate. It's like it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: I mean, I'm using it to kind of diminish the people who are whining because yeah. Uh, what happened was this week HBO Max pulled Gone with the Wind from their library. And, which I wouldn't know because I still can't access HBO Max because I get HBO through my Roku and they still haven't worked their shit out. So, whatever. Um, But, anyway, so HBO Max announced that they were pulling Gone with the Wind. And a bunch of people, understandably, I guess, got mad. Because, I mean, after all, it is a Best Picture winner. And before knowing all the details and understanding what was really happening... It was a little bit of like, well, you guys, you can't just erase your history and pretend it never happened. And also, Hattie McDaniel won an Oscar for that. And she was, you know, that was a huge win. That was, she was the first woman, Mm -hmm. the first black woman to win an acting Oscar. And, and, um, but then they clarified, no, no, no. We're not pulling it forever and pretending it never happened. We're going to pull it and do what they what disney should be doing with more of their stuff which is provide a contextual conversation about it and about Mm -hmm. not just how times have changed but how the things that we used to think were fine in the past really weren't even fine then it's not just that they're not fine now so that's what's going to happen it will be back at some point um but it was interesting listening to people get mad and and argue
1: about it i don't know lauren what was your experience I mean, it seems like Gone with the Wind is, is one of those films that every, every every once in a while it comes up again because it, it is sort of... It's the elephant in the room in Hollywood in a lot of ways because it is one of the most popular films ever made. It is still spectacularly popular um a number of people you know talked about well even if they were to pull it completely from their streaming service you know there are so many anniversary editions of gone with the wind available on physical media like it it is one of the major hollywood releases for good and ill like it's it's one of those things you can't really change that right? right um but it's it's one where we tend to we this conversation tends to come up, and I remember several years ago, there was a similar conversation about it, which was essentially that um, Lou, uh, Lou Lumenik, who uh, I don't think he writes for them anymore, I believe he's retired, but he used to write uh, reviews for the New York Post, um, was talking about how he felt that Gone with the Wind should not be shown as entertainment anymore it should only be shown within a historical context and only within the context of talking about its racism and there was a huge explosion about that just like well it's one of my favorite movies and you know all of this stuff and there's this huge argument that got going Um, but he was essentially saying that you know no it shouldn't be released as a piece of entertainment you shouldn't be showing it on tcm or on streaming services um, except to talk about the racism contained within it and and not just the racism i think it's important to note that it isn't just about the the racist depictions it's also about just the depictions of the antebellum south mm-hmm. and the pre so the pre-civil war south and and the south during the civil war and the way that it, it valorizes um the con, the confederacy the way that it valorizes the kkk people tend to forget that there's like a whole subplot in that film about one of the characters joining the kkk and it's and this is a film that is made in, you know, it's what, nineteen thirty nine. So this is not this is height of Hollywood, basically. This is height of the goal of sort of the golden age. Um these are huge stars as Clark Gable and Vivian Lee and Leslie Howard and Olivia de Havilland, these are major, major stars of the time and major icons. And we tend to sort of go like, Well, we're not really gonna talk about Gone with the Wind and everything. So I, I think it's it's such a complicated issue because it's true, you can't, you cannot erase it. You can't say it never happened. And you don't want to say that it never happened because saying that it never happened meant that you're not dealing with the iconography of racism, that you're not dealing with the images that perpetuate racism. Um, one of the things that Gone with the Wind has often been uh, criticized for is um that it doesn't really it's not like birth of a nation in the sense that it does not represent bad black people and good black people there are not bad slaves and good slaves in um gone with the wind there are only good slaves right and the representation of those slaves is pretty much um the they're happy right (laughs) they're happy being slaves and that's the critique that gets going about gone with the wind is that the you know, someone H- Hattie McDaniel's character, Mammy, or um, and I can't remember her her the, her, the actual character name, but play, the woman who's played by Butterfly McQueen, uh, is they are happy working on the plantation. They are happy serving the white people, right? And that's the way that they're represented. So they're quotation marks positive characters right they're not bad characters they're not evil they're not trying to to kill white people or anything like that they're and they're not treated like that but there's this banality of it this this sense that you know well actually in the antebellum south all of the black people were very happy it's the happy slave narrative um and so and that's where gone with the wind becomes i think that's how gone with the wind kind of gets away with it we tend to look at birth of a nation as this you know exceptionally racist film which it is but somehow we don't have the same attitude towards *Gone with the Wind*, partially because there is this, you know, positive stereotyping um, of the happy slave, of that the the happy servant, right? The happy black person who doesn't really want to be freed, uh, and that's what the film kind of relies upon in terms of its representation of black characters. Yesterday, I was
0: watching a documentary called *A Century of* black cinema mm-hmm. and well it was funny because i mean i could tell it was dated uh, just because of the look of it but also when i got to the section about bill cosby <laughs> oh
1: it was very
0: <laughs> obviously before anything happened then i looked and it was like oh okay this is from 2003 this all makes sense um but <laughs> oh, they dear. had a yeah but they had a um a Really good discussion about Gone with the Wind, and um, and yeah, exactly that why it is problematic, even though you know people tend to either give it a pass or say, Well, but you know, because they're not beating their slaves and their slaves aren't trying to run away, and all that, and it's just like, No, that's mm, okay,
1: um. <laughs> yeah that's i mean that's that's the thing it's it's a very sort of gentle representation of that time period which we know is not accurate like i mean right. you can't you you can't say oh no this is totally the way that it was just like no it, it really wasn't we know that it wasn't we mm-hmm. know that based upon history uh and and so the, it is this very sort of glossy romanticization of this time period and what the antebellum south actually looked like Right. and felt like and what the civil war was you know all of that stuff is and and it's and that's not the sole focus of the film the sole focus of the film is not on slavery right it's not on a debate about slavery it's on like this melodrama going on with the rich white people who get sort of uh who get involved in the civil war that's the story
0: right yeah the slavery and the running up to the civil war and all that those are like background to kind of establish who these people are and to set the scene which i mean this is based on a book too but um but yeah it's not a movie about slaves it's not a movie about keeping them or not keeping them you know setting them free it's it's not about that at all these are just characters that are part of part of scarlet and Rhett's story and um yeah but that's the thing so this documentary that i watched it's on amazon prime it's for free and it was it was really interesting because it got into Gone with the Wind. It got into some other films where, you know, for so long, people have just kind of accepted it as like, well, this is a this is a good representation. This is positive, And and explaining why. No, we need to look at we need to look past what the the text is showing you and really look at what's happening and what sort of effect this representation is doing for the audience and Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of what we are talking about today with um with how film can can uh be an engine or vehicle for
1: social change and also how it can sometimes not be gone with the wind reinforces this kind of like like we were saying this this banality this Mm -hmm. goodness this this image of the south uh in that period as being you know basically decent this kind of romanticized society you know all of that stuff and it's a very attractive vision you look at it and you go like oh this is gorgeous you know Mm -hmm. this is this is great this is you know fascinating this is like american aristocracy it's very much like it's in some ways at least the representations again of the of the white people it's very much like the representations of like the the british court in the victorian period that's what it looks like yeah right and so it's this Amer- it's this vision of American aristocracy that did exist, right? But did not exist in this nice, warm, and fuzzy way because it's built on the backs of thousands upon thousands of uh, slaves, of people being beaten and murdered, and and forced and, and enslaved and raped and forced to work. You know all of those things, and that's something that the film doesn't isn't interested in acknowledging and doesn't want to show us that right. part. Because we can't have, you know, Clark Gable beating slaves or, you know, having uh, having sex with his female slaves. We're not going to show that. We're not. We're certainly not going to talk about that, you know? Uh, right,
0: yeah. He's a man above reproach. He would never do such things. And it's like, well, actually, he totally would. But, um, <laughs> but we, yeah, we don't want to... And, and it's interesting. It's like, okay, that's separating or trying to set up a vision of something even though like even people who are racist i think understand that slavery isn't right they just don't care necessarily if it's (laughs) right or wrong and it's interesting because when you show it in this kind of way it looks like well but they're taking care of their of their people and and so it's it's fine and like this week there were so many discussions renewed conversations because like nascar has made a rule that you cannot display the confederate flag anymore finally Mm -hmm. it's only 2020 you know but um that happened and then my facebook feed like i have i have friends this wasn't even most of the people that i'm friends and family you know related to but um but there was a lot of conversation from certain people that i'm connected with and and friends with and related to that were very upset about that and like oh Mm. the confederate flag it's just a symbol of of states rights and blah 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 and i'm just like (laughs) okay um i don't know how you reconcile the fact that you like to brag about being the party of lincoln who freed the slaves and also celebrate the civil war as this like fun little rebellion when they lost, first of all, <laughs>
1: <laughs> no second, participation trophies. Exactly,
0: exactly. That's that same group that hates participation <laughs> trophies, but they love the losers of the Civil War. Go figure. Um, and and it's just it's so weird to me how yeah. how they don't see that. And then like this week when um, when they also announced that they'll be renaming some of the army bases that are currently named after civil war soldiers and generals and our confederate ones. And Trump was like, no, it's a part of our great American heritage. I'm like, you want our army to have bases named after losers. I thought you hated <laughs> losers. <laughs> like, yeah, we've just so glamorized and glorified the civil war and part of that is through things like gone with the wind so i'm glad that hbo and warner brothers that they're moving forward with starting to contextualize it not hide behind it like disney is done with you know song mm-hmm. of the south and stuff like well don't
1: hide your history acknowledge how you've grown yeah, acknowledge it, show it, study it, talk about it, talk about it as a racist film, not as something that we're going to passively just enjoy, mm-hmm. uh, and and talk about what it represents. And there's been a lot of scholarship done about Gone with the Wind, and and I do think it's it's important to note that this is not a new conversation in the time period when the film was released there yeah. were discussions about gone with the wind there were public ones so the, so um and i'm just getting this from a guardian article a contemporary review in the chicago defender called it uh, a weapon of terror against black america um dramatist and filmmaker Colton moss wrote that it was a nostalgic plea for sympathy for a still living cause of southern reaction and so this is in the 1940s right this is this so these are contemporary responses so this whole idea that like now we're suddenly reacting against it or that this is like a new thing no in the 1940s they knew in the 1940s they were having this conversation they were having this debate so uh, I, I saw a number of people say that we have to remember that gone with the wind was considered was also considered to be a, an almost progressive view of the american south in that period um that it was sort of that time period's green book, and that's something that that you know we need to continue to talk about and to acknowledge. Not just that you know this is not looking back on 1939 and saying like we're better than them now. It's saying like they knew better. They there was an aware there was at least some awareness of what they were doing and how they were representing it. um And in the midst of all of this, I think we also have, we also have to talk about the fact that you know H- Hattie McDaniel did one. Uh, was the first black woman to win a, a, an Academy Award. She, and she won it in a segregated hotel where she was not allowed to sit with the rest of the cast. mm mm-hmm uh because she was black and so watching you know and there's there's recording of her speech and watching her and she's overwhelmed she she's grateful for or at least that she comes off as grateful for this this honor and and you understand it's like this is an honor it is an honor for anyone to be awarded like that and and for her to be the first black woman to win that that award but at the same time it's happening in a context where um she's not even being allowed to sit in the same place as her white co-stars and that and i think that that says a lot about the time period and it says a lot about the complications of things like this when we actually begin talking about it
0: yeah definitely and and it's i i think you're I, uh, um i lost my point oh well that's okay you think Um, i'm
1: right and everything is correct yeah
0: (laughs) um but no i mean one of one of the things you just said is something that we've talked about a lot which is that you have to understand that just because we know it's wrong now doesn't mean they didn't know it was wrong then yeah so much of the time that's the case and One of the problems that we see from people is just a complete lack of knowledge about history or a lack of respect for history. And by that, I mean, just like not acknowledging that it existed. Um, And I think that that has caused so many of the problems that we still see now. I mean, the fact that we're having a conversation about race and inclusion in 2020 Is, I mean, it needs to happen, but why wasn't this all resolved 50 years ago when the country was desegregated? You know, why is this still an issue now? And Mm. why are we still having these conversations? Why do we still have to have protests about, you know, standing up against police brutality? Why is this still a problem? Why? Why? You know, and, and I mean we haven't solved anything. We haven't, we've made some strides since the 1960s, but people are not, you know, by and large, people are not better off now, even if some things have changed. And I mean, we saw that with what happened in Georgia this week, you know, just yesterday I rewatched Selma, which I hadn't watched since probably since it came out. And, um, so I, uh, kind of not forgotten but i just kind of hadn't thought about it in terms of like that they were that their protest wasn't really a protest they were showing up to register to vote and all that Mm -hmm. and i was just thinking about that when i was watching yesterday and and those lines we saw in georgia earlier this week of people that were not being able to access voting and it's like this why (laughs) why is this still happening and i don't know (laughs) <laughs> I, I just i don't know
1: well and uh, so in in terms of that so i was watching um one of the films that is available right now on amazon for free anybody like you don't have i don't think you even have to have a prime account you can just go and watch it um is uh the black power mixtape 1967 to 1975 and it's it's an interesting documentary but it, it's it's um it deals with kind of the, the black power movement starting in about 1967 uh and the various figures the important figures that of that movement and also but also one of the things that it shows is the protests right the 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 protests the 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 protests after um or the, the the some sometimes they turn into riots after uh martin luther king was assassinated the 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 death of robert kennedy you know all of those things and watching these images from the period you see cops throwing tear gas at protesters who are saying you have to treat me like a person even though i'm black <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and and watching this it's it's the same it's the same thing right we're seeing the same thing and the images are just like okay other than some different hairstyles <laughs> and this is being filmed on film rather than on or on video rather than on you know iphone cameras it's the same fucking thing and it's it's being repeated over and over again and it does kind of make you go like why why are we still having this fight why is this still something that that th- this shouldn't be something that we're still doing we should have moved beyond it by now and yet somehow we haven't and you know we're we're sitting here we're two white women right mm-hmm. uh and we're sitting here talking about this and to a certain degree you know up at like you were saying up uh, s- to to a certain degree up until this point we've been very isolated from it. You know, it isn't I have not been targeted because of the color of my skin. No. Uh, never. In the in the United States, right? That's not something that has happened to me. And that's not something that habitually happens to me, certainly. Um and so there's no way that I can say, I don't know how a black person feels in the United States of America. I have no clue. Like that's not something that I can process. So I have to look at myself and okay, how do I try try to understand my own privilege and my own, my own, you know, racism, my own internalized racism, the things that I have sort of taken for granted um, as a white person. And how do I work through that and become anti-racist become not just I've, you know, I've never considered myself racist. I've always been like, no, of course I'm not racist. But like you're saying, you have to take that next step of being anti-racist and dealing with the fact that that means grappling with your privilege, grappling with, the racist ideas that maybe you have had that are simply part of the internalized culture of the United States. Um, and that's very difficult to do, but it's something that we have the luxury to do as white people, because we've never had to deal with this. We've, this is not something that we have had to to think about every single day of our lives, um, as just a, a fact of life. And we have to figure out ways of, of changing it. Um, yeah absolutely well and i think
0: that that's a big part of why some of this stuff hasn't changed is because Mm -hmm. we think oh well they integrated the school so that's done you know (laughs) like yeah uh, we we forget or we just don't experience because we don't see it every day um or hardly ever sometimes uh i mean i see a lot of things just because of my work but but for a lot of, of people, we live in our, you know, our very white neighborhoods, we li- go to our very white jobs, we, you know, and so we're not experiencing what other people are experiencing, we're not seeing it because we just by the nature of different industries and different, you know, housing developments and things like that, we just we don't have to confront it. And so it's easy to think that problems are solved when you don't hear about them. And you aren't reminded that there's are still problems.
1: Yeah, and, and I, think, I think that there is an extensive cinematic legacy of this. Yeah. Of this reinforcement. Uh, and one of the things that has honestly often bothered me, and I haven't really been able to articulate it until now, um, until recently, uh, uh, is that so much of the, the conversations, the cinematic conversations about race, take place in the past, right? So what we see are so... You talk about films like 12 Years a Slave or um, even films like Selma uh, or films like Green Book that or, you know, the, the one that's been very popular on Netflix right now, The Help, uh, yeah, beyond all the other problems. Which is connects.
0: problematic, but better than Green Book.
1: It's true. Um, but again, the, the, so many of these narratives are about the past. They're about the 1960s. They're about you know, the, the Civil War period or Reconstruction period. Um, they're about something that happened once long ago, and there's a distance to them that makes us feel like, well, but things have changed now, things are better now, right? This, this, this was yes, we were really racist in 1965, but we're not that way anymore, um, and so there's a comfort to a lot of these cinematic representations that then. We go kind of, so then we can turn off the movie it makes you feel better and you kind of go about your life of being like man it was really it must have been really awful being black in 1965 but it's so it's so nice that it's not that bad now and it's like okay well we're, but we're not really engaging we're not cinema is not directly engaging in the reality of the black experience right now and some of that is because until fairly recently a lot of black filmmakers have been very much shunted to the side um have been very much treated as uh, as a secondary filmmakers, um, and and that's been true. That has been true all the way throughout Hollywood history. So now we're we're finally you know we're finally getting. And and I'm not saying that this is you know that we haven't had these kinds of films, um, but I think that the films themselves are becoming more and more mainstream. That we're actually beginning to get these perspectives because the the system is beginning to break down a little bit more it's not solely prizing this white male perspective which means that we can't as white people we can't go like ah oh, good we're not we're not racist the way that we were in 1965 we actually have to deal with our contemporary racism
0: right well and that's that's exactly it i mean when when you can look at oh well sure it, History, they always say hindsight is twenty twenty because it is. It's easy to see and to say, oh, well, I know what side I would definitely be on mm-hmm. when the Nazis were coming. I know for sure what side I would be on, you know, leading up to the Civil War. I feel like I do. But, um, <laughs> But a lot of people say that. And the reality is, if you were living in that time period, think about, you know think about things like if you had a business and if you you know like what are what are your reactions right now to what's happening? And I think that tells you a lot about which side you'd really take. even if you saw that what the, what was happening was wrong, would you really stand up and fight against it? Most mm-hmm. people probably would not yeah. and but they think that they would because looking back on it, it's so easy to see uh, you know, what was clearly the right choice, what was clearly mm-hmm. the wrong choice. And also you see which side won. And of course you're going to identify yourself with the winners and not with the losers. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, you know, that's something else that I was thinking about this week, seeing some of the conversations that were happening. It's just, you know, it's, it's very easy to watch, you know, yeah. Watch Selma or gone with the wind or glory or, or, some of these films and say oh well yeah the world's not like that now because that's so overtly in your face of this is right and this is wrong but seeing the subtleties now and experiencing it now is much more difficult for a lot of people Mm -hmm. and identifying that is really hard Mm -hmm. and when we turn to film it's interesting because the same people who love Gone with the Wind, didn't embrace something like If Beale Street Could Talk, or mm-hmm. Selma, or you know some of, so many other movies that even though those those are also both con- you know historically historically set, um, they're contemporary movies made by black filmmakers and not white filmmakers, mm-hmm. and seeing those historical films told from a non-white perspective. really really important. but so many people just go oh well it's not Spielberg I don't care. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like but you're completely dis- you know dismissing really talented filmmakers which is it's really a shame and and I think that luckily that's starting to shift but it's still very slow.
1: Yeah.
0: But It'll be interesting because the other big piece of news that came out I'd like to thank the Academy for putting this out on Friday when we're gonna record this weekend and it's like they knew what we were talking about um, <laughs> So the the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced their big um, well they announced the they announced that they will be having an inclusion and diversity narrative or representation sorry representation and inclusion standards for o- Oscar eligibility that is coming at the end of July but what they have announced in the meantime is that they are doing what they should have been doing all along which is expanding the best picture category to a very set 10 films when they first expanded it from five back in 2009 it was 10 for two years and then they went to this weird sliding scale because oh well there's not always 10 movies that deserve it It's like well there's 400 movies released every year what do you mean there aren't 10 that <laughs> deserve to be best but whatever um anyway so they're going back to 10 and that will start not with this coming oscars because like not enough movies are coming out, I guess. But um, they're going to start that with the 94th Oscars, which is the year after. Um, so that's good. But some of the other things that they're doing in all of this, and we'll link the news uh, article in the show notes, but um, they will be having new standards for eligibility, but they won't announce that until July 30th or somewhere around there. Um, so we don't know what that will look like, but some kind of rules regarding representation and inclusion so that could be very interesting i don't know if that's going to be like a certain percentage of of people working on the film have to be women people of color black people i'm not sure um but it's going to be really interesting to see how that changes things and then they're also making just some other big changes like term limits on the board of governors so it used to like it's been all along that you could serve i think it was through two three-year terms consecutively and then you have to take a year off but you could keep doing that for life like forever but now it's you can only do that twice um so you can only serve a maximum of 12 years on the board of governors which is good because When people are there too long we see what happens and there's just so much complacency that happens from people that are in the same position for a really long time (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah and then uh they're also going to be doing panels one of the things i was really excited about was the academy museum which is set to open in december we'll see if that still holds um but they're They're um, instituting, or they they just instituted an inclusion advisory committee that will have um, filmmakers, historians, all kinds of people involved so that whenever the Academy is putting together exhibits and, and collections, they can make sure that their collections are really inclusive and they're not forgetting alice gee used to make movies you know or or they're not ignoring um people that so often for so long have been overlooked and ignored so it's to really give you a broad historical context for for their different
1: collections so i i think that's really exciting yeah i think that all of this sounds like it's a step in the right direction you know it's it is one of those that you're a little bit like why have we not been doing this earlier <laughs> like mm-hmm. like that's you know it's tiring i think that everybody i think that everybody's very tired um but it's it's tiring that that these kind of very uh, seemingly basic things uh have not been a part of the conversation up until now but but at the same time it's good that they're finally being part of the conversation that they're finally moving in in the correct direction
0: <laughs> yeah well it's i'm glad to see that Cheryl Boone Isaacs was the Academy president um, a couple of years ago. She was two presidents ago and she was awesome and she did some really amazing things. She really moved the Academy toward this direction. She wasn't able to get some of these things done, but a big part of the reason why this is happening now is because one of the things that she pushed for was to broaden the diversity of the membership of the academy in the first place Mm -hmm. because for so long it was like 75% white men, something like that. My number might be off, but, um, and they had people that hadn't made movies for years, hadn't really worked in the industry, but they were still getting to vote, you know, and they were still getting to vote for not just the Oscars, but who was on the board. And of course they're going to vote for their old white friends. And, um, she just said no. Okay, we need to have some rules here. If you're in the academy, you're an active member of the committee. I mean, of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and also they started inviting more people of color, more women. Um, trying to really just broaden the scope. And so now they have over nine thousand members. I think when she started, it was around six thousand. And they only invited a couple hundred maybe every year. And like, I think the first year that she really pushed for it was 1500 new members, something like that. And a bunch of people were mad because of some of the names that were on the list of, inv- of invitees. But, um, but it was like, no, if we're really serious about changing this industry and about really providing a voice for people, this is some of the things that you have to do, and so what's happening now is a direct result of expanding the membership, mm-hmm. and I think it's great to see.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's de- it's definitely a good thing. Like I say, you do kind of wonder why it has taken this long, but um, mm-hmm. but getting there, you know. I I am always a little depressed that that is just like oh we are going to produce inclusion which means that you know percentage must be all of these groups right
0: right yeah that
1: are not white men (laughs) and it's like (laughs) it's like you know i i know i know that we live under patriarchy i know that we live in a very um sort of white male dominated society and everything but after a while, i'm just like why are white why do white men continue to be the default you know why is this still the conversation that we're having and uh yeah it's it's just like i was actually thinking the other day i was just like is there like a a term for encompassing everyone who is not straight white and male like is there (laughs) can we have an acronym or something like that that will just when we're talking about, like, they're the straight white guys, and then there's everybody else. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking the other day, too, and I, I have this thought occasionally of just, like, at what point did just white people in general get to be in charge? We've never been the majority race on the planet. Yeah. like. How did that even happen in the first place? Well, it's so
1: stupid. <laughs> it's called colonialism. And, well, yeah. <laughs> so, and honestly, some of it, and if you read history, some of it is pure dumb luck. Like some yeah. of it is just like, you know, and some of it is weaponry uh, mm-hmm. and, and some of it is resistance to disease. I mean, one of the reasons why, um, why white people were colonized the United States the way that they did was they were filthy And they showed up with all of these diseases that they had developed a resistance to because they were filthy Mm -hmm. uh, and that the indigenous populations did not have a resistance to. And so it just swept through them and, and, and killed them. And at the same time, you're talking about people with um, a lot of weaponry. And so that combination of things, uh, it, you know, results in some of the colonization attitudes and everything, but yeah, it's, it's very, some of it is just pure dumb luck (laughs) like
0: yeah well i mean like big news this week about the columbus statue and there Mm. was a lot of debate about that and it's like the guy is famous because he got lost thought he was one place and wasn't and then he did a whole lot of bad shit but yeah let's keep monuments to him
1: up (laughs) like all right (laughs) i did I did enjoy because, you know, our our governor was like, no, it's an important part of of Italian-American history or something like that. I was like, okay, first of all, there's a few things that are wrong with that. But um, I did love the number of people who proposed alternative statues, including Martin Scorsese, Martin Scorsese's mother, uh, Danny DeVito. (laughs) Um, who else? Mario and Luigi. <laughs> Mario and Luigi. <laughs> uh, you know, the uh, a simply a statue of a slice of New York State pizza. Uh there are like all kinds of things. Just like, look, if we're gonna all honor the contributions of Italian Americans, which we should, you know, an important important contributors, we can definitely find some people that are not genocidal idiots. I I'm certain. I'm certain that we can. Yeah. I saw <laughs> someone
0: posted a thread on Twitter this week, I wish I knew who it was and it will probably take me too long to find it. But, um, someone posted a whole thread about how even in his day, people knew Columbus was a piece of shit. (laughs) and so a bunch of people jumped in there like no he was a celebrated explorer it's like are you listening to what she's saying he was not a celebrated explorer (laughs) he He could not he had to go to how many different countries before he could even get money for his
1: trip because nobody wanted to fund him exactly the italian like he literally had to leave italy in order to get funded for the trip, which he then got lost on. Like Exactly. He was not a good a good smart person. And he took a look at like the seditious people just like, oh they're India. It's just like you you didn't fucking find India, dude. It's not no. India. It's not India. You just stumbled across a continent that you did not know existed. That's what happened. You tripped over North America. And you also
0: didn't discover it if there were already people living there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and that
0: is why Columbus statues should be taken down. Um anyway, but but no, I think that it's interesting just to go back to our overarching topic for this episode with with film and what that can do for social change and whether it can or not. Um I think that stuff like the story of Columbus and you know colonization in general, the Pilgrims, um you know all sorts of things have contributed to why we so easily overlook or ignore what's happening in our society or what has happened in history because if you see it on a movie oh that must it's based on a true story so most of this must be accurate which is usually not at all the case um but it really does uh kind of ingrain those wrong wrong things in your mind and it makes it very hard to deprogram people when they've been basically taught the wrong information their whole lives. and but that's where film really can help because you know, I mean documentaries are really good. they're great. I There are some really, really amazing ones. but I think what for a lot of people, what changes them is seeing more fictional accounts and fictional narratives that can serve as, as, either allegories or as like parables that they can then, uh, use in their own lives. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, yeah, I think both are necessary is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. I, I think that the perception, the perception of everything, you know, we were talking, so we we're talking about Gone with the Wind, the perception that that film sells right the images that that film sells is is of happy slaves right mm-hmm. and so if that's the image that you then and it, and it also it's a comforting image too it's a comforting image to the white viewer because it says True. like you're not you know your your ancestors and and i'm saying this as someone my i half of my family comes from the deep south we were slave owners mm-hmm. um back in the day like half of them fought for the confederacy all of that stuff it's a very comforting image if me as a white viewer i get to sit down and watch like oh actually the slaves weren't unhappy like they they were happy people like we treated them nicely you know all of that stuff um that's a really comforting image and that means that you don't have to grapple with uh the the issues that the the reality of of those narratives and so that's why it is important then to turn around and to have films that depict the reality or that try to like actually say, no, this was not the truth. This is not the reality of, of the way that people experience that. And I think that you're right, it's um, true stories are, are helpful and you know you get fictionalized true stories. Very often ones that are, are sanitized. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also fiction itself can give can kind of open the way a little bit. It can it can broaden the scope of the of the way that we understand um race or or gender or uh, sexuality or anything like that that you know if we're if we're constantly pushing back against some of the stereotypes and some of the reinforced images of of black people or of women or of gay people uh and those and those films sort of allow you to take a different perspective and to to recognize both the reality of it, but then also within a fictional narrative and, like you say, in a, almost a parabolic narrative. Um, but it's, it's important, I think, again, as white people that we experience these things, and it's very important. Um, one of the criticisms uh, that we often hear about Spike Lee is that his films, his, many of his films, and this is particularly in terms of uh, some of his more recent films like Black Klansmen um seem to be speaking to a white audience and Mm -hmm. i think one and i think that you know that I, i wouldn't downplay that criticism i certainly don't think that all films should be speaking to a white audience or anything like that but i do find it interesting that those films are treated that way and that um and that there's there's an important i think thing that's happening right there because at least for me and again i'm talking as a white viewer so i completely understand that mine is not the sole perspective but one of the things that i like about spike lee's films is that he does his work does force me personally to interrogate my whiteness and that is doing and i don't believe that all filmmakers should be doing that i don't believe that it's the job of a black filmmaker to make me interrogate my whiteness but one of the things that i appreciate about that is that it forces me to come to terms with certain things that maybe i don't want to note or i don't want to think about or i don't want to talk about but in watching his films i'm like this is something i need to talk about this is something i need to consider within myself um and that was especially true of black klansman it was also true one of his best films i think and it's a film that was very controversial when it came out was bamboozled um which is specifically about the representations of black people in uh, in media and it ends with this extensive um kind of compilation of representations of black people from films in the 1930s and 40s and it's shocking it's shocking to watch it all kind of put together and to really note how incredibly racist some of these films were and how this is the basis of american cinema and that that's important you know to think about and to talk about
0: yeah um i remember a few years ago this was during the first season of glee uh which so it was before glee just became terrible um when it was still mildly watchable but uh (laughs) Anyway, but but this part was important because I was listening to an interview with one of the characters, uh, one of the actors, and he was talking about how they very deliberately were establishing things like having a prominent gay character who was in high school and letting him explore relationships, Um, having two dads you know these kinds of things and that part of a, a big part of why they were just being so upfront about it was because the more people could just see that the more it would become normal and this was all happening around the time of prop 8 in california and um and a lot of conversations about legalizing gay marriage and just you know rights for homosexual people in the first place and um and yeah so it was interesting to hear him talk about that and and just that you can use entertainment to of course some people read it wrong and say oh it's indoctrination but no it's actually more like deprogramming this becomes normal because it is normal Mm -hmm. and i think that film really can can do that the more that we're exposed to different cultures and different ways of looking at the world through filmmakers like spike lee who really just put it in your face and don't let you escape from your own biases um i think that the more that we expose ourselves to that the more open we become to understanding that our perspective not only is not the only right one or the only one but is a very very small one in Mm -hmm. the greater scheme of things and in the greater picture so i think that that's where film can really help people to open up their minds and open up their way of thinking and i think that that's why it's so important that we have so much diversity with filmmakers and that's i don't there are a lot of spike lee films well actually there are a lot that i've never seen but there are some that i don't I don't personally care for but that's that's fine I don't have to like them but the way that they challenge my thinking is what's really important yeah. and that's why I choose to watch them and, and seek them out and um, and I, I think that it's interesting people's reactions to to filmmakers like him who are you know a little bit like I wouldn't even say he's controversial to some people he is. Um, he just has a very direct in your face approach and that puts people off, but I think it's, it's, if, if you're one of the people that aren't put off by it, then I think that is a good step in the right direction.
1: Yeah. There's, there's a sense in which there's definitely certain films that are there to make you feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. that, and, Mm -hmm. and to make you question your perspective and your position and that that's important and that's i i think one of the things that we keep on saying on this podcast is watch a lot of film and and what that means is not just you know sit down and kind of watch the quotation marks classics and everything but to actually watch a lot of different filmmakers and a lot of different um kinds of filmmakers so white people and black people and uh, Chinese Americans and Chinese filmmakers and Korean filmmakers and, you know, uh, uh, indigenous filmmakers, you know, all of these, these, this kind of broad scope. So not, and, and then you're watching, you're getting to see the world that is not solely through one perspective. Um and some of those and some of those are going to be good films some of them will be bad ones some some of them will be ones that make you uncomfortable but it's important to have those experiences and to say you know this it's important to for me to try to empath, uh, empathize and understand um that film is showing me one perspective and that in order to be in order to really comprehend the existence of humanity right it's important to consume all kinds of art as much as possible.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think I've talked about this before and I, you know, I grew up in a very conservative household. I was very, you know, very conservative in a lot of ways, moderate in mostly social, but, um, but it's interesting because so much of what I used to think and so much of how I used to view the world um really changed when i started to travel and i've been to i mean i've been to europe i've been to france and england but i've also been to south america i went and built a house with habitat for humanity in paraguay i went and spent a month volunteering with a children's youth organization in honduras i took a trip to india and nepal a few years ago and I have been very blessed in my life that I have the means to be able to do that kind of thing. What that does when you travel internationally and you, and not just to the big fun touristy places like the Eiffel tower, but when you go and you're walking through the streets of Delhi and seeing real true poverty that we do not have in this country. Um, And, and when you're, building a house for someone who's literally been living in a car. And when you're having those experiences, it really does open up your mind to a completely different, um, different set of, of, or different knowledge, different understanding of the world. And, and so, so many of the things that I grew up believing, because that's what I was taught by my family, by, you know, teachers, stuff like that, I realized was not right. And um, that I had, I had been raised with such a limited perspective of the world. And like I said, most people don't have the opportunity to travel like that. And most people just don't want to travel like that. It's very uncomfortable to, to go to some of the places that I've been. But that's where, for people who don't have that chance, that's where film can really help in similar ways. And when you're watching films like you said, from you know, from Korean directors, from indigenous directors, and all types of films. Not just documentaries, but, you know, we watched we watched and loved a movie about Nazis from a Maori Jew from New Zealand, you know, and it's <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Like, but when you watch these films from from different filmmakers that don't look like you it really can help break down some of those wrong things that we've been taught and some of those Mm -hmm. things that we always thought we understood, but really didn't. And that's where film is so important to not just helping us understand the culture, but helping us change the culture.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So,
0: but speaking of Spike Lee, he had a new movie (laughs) out this week. (laughs) and the timing on this is really interesting especially with the way that it begins and ends I thought because this was scheduled way before George Floyd was murdered this was scheduled before Breonna Taylor was was murdered this is before the recent protests started up anew Um, this movie has been scheduled for June 12th release and and, uh, that is of course Spike Lee's Five bloods on netflix and uh lauren why don't you start off with your
1: thoughts i mean i i think once again we're going to preface this with we're white people
0: <laughs> yes we are very very white i am irish and swedish i don't get much whiter than me
1: <laughs> that is very white wow yes. <laughs> um yeah so we're very white people so i you know i, I don't want to try to to say what this means or you know that this is an urgent film or anything like that um i i think that first of all it's it's a it's just a well-made film like it's it's well put together it's well constructed uh it's i mean so so the, the basic plot is um it's about uh four vietnam war vets who returned to vietnam and um their goal is they want to go back into uh the jungle where they they were engaged in a firefight and where one of their number was killed um and now is buried and they're also looking for a cache gold that they left there so i described this when i (laughs) on twitter as kind of like if apocalypse now met the treasure of the sierra madre and uh, decided that we need to talk about black men being used as cannon fodder by the military-industrial complex. That that's kind of the the film, <laughs> and it is very referential. Like that, there are a lot of references to Vietnam War movies. There's even, and, and they're very explicit references too. This is they're oh, not yeah. trying. He's not, not trying to. Yeah, he's not trying to conceal <laughs> anything. However, props to Spike Lee for being a, possibly the first filmmaker to make a vietnam war movie and not include queen's clearwater revivals run through the jungle thank you thank you so much (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) love this song definitely overused uh but so so this is this is a film that is about camaraderie it is about the relationship between these these this group of black men but it's also about trauma it's about generational trauma and it's about the fact that that you know these were soldiers who were sent into this war zone um in order to fight for a country that was still denying them many basic human rights and the film explores that tension and that the reaction to it and the reaction to trauma and and um specifically to the trauma of uh not just being a vet but being a black vet uh and and i i think that it's it's a spectacular film it's very well made um uh, Del, delroy lindo is you know i think that he's getting much deserved praise across the board because he he really does anchor it and uh gives such a wonderful performance and it's complicated it isn't a straightforward narrative it isn't um you know you, it isn't straightforward whose side you're really supposed to be on uh which i think is also important my my major critique of it is that I think that it's a little top heavy in the sense that it takes a long time to set up the characters and to set up kind of the the going into the jungle. And as soon as they get into the jungle, then I think the, the film picks up speed and uh and more deeply engages with its own subject matter. Um and so my, my one my one thing is that I, I think that maybe the, the first act could have been cut down a little bit and we didn't maybe need to spend as much time on the conversations there as as in some of the things that happen later on in the film otherwise it, it really is a spectacular film and um very moving and very and funny you know there there is some humor in it uh and very much engaged with its topic and with and with its cinematic history with the cinematic history of films like this of this you know like i say apocalypse now meets treasure of the sierra madre <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's interesting because when I was watching it, because I didn't, I knew it was a Vietnam War movie and, um, but I didn't know how it was going to be done. I didn't watch a trailer. When there's movies that I know I'm going to watch, I tend to just kind of like, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just wait until I get to experience it. So I don't read the synopsis or the, or watch the trailers usually, and this was one of those. So I didn't know what I was getting into. And I didn't... I thought it was going to be an actual, like, in the Vietnam era. I didn't know it was a current modern film that included flashbacks to the war. Um, and I thought that was really... Uh, I was I was actually very interested in that. I thought it was very good perspective. Because, like you say, we we don't... I mean, so many films that include... Vietnam war veterans they're all white. Mm-hmm. I rarely see, in fact I can't off the top of my head right now. I cannot think of a single example of a film where I've seen, you know, old war buddies talking about Vietnam and any of them were black. Mm-hmm. And and seeing seeing that perspective was interesting for two reasons. One, it shows that their their trauma is similar. To the trauma that white soldiers went through, which means, oh, gee, people are, you know, not that different from each other. And um, and but then also it does get into why some of their experiences were so much different because of the fact that they were black. And mm-hmm. I think that having that perspective and seeing that and getting that lesson was really valuable, too, for me. um, And plus, they're just fun old guys. I would love to sit and listen to them tell stories, you know, like they're just, I, I really liked the casting. I thought it was great. I loved the way that they did the flashbacks, um, the way that that was handled with uh, people still playing their younger version, you know, like mm-hmm. it just, it was cool. Very cool. The way that they did that. And um, I really liked the camaraderie between between all the men um i i agree with you that it's top heavy that it does take a bit but i really enjoyed i so much enjoyed getting to know them that it didn't bother Mm -hmm. me i thought it was like oh but they're just fun you know and i also thought it was interesting how they had to confront some of their own biases like there's a scene in the beginning where they're in a bar and they see some vietnamese men and they're making judgments about them until they find out what's really going on there and i i thought oh that's that's an interesting um an interesting perspective too so yeah i i agree with you 100 percent this is so well made um this may be one of spike lee's very best films it's hard to make a pronouncement like that when I've only seen it once and it was yesterday. But so it's like recency bias is definitely there, but this is so well crafted. Um, so well performed, very well written. And it really does introduce us to perspectives that have not been seen nearly enough on film. And, uh, yeah, I, I really, I really liked this movie. I'm going to watch it again. Um, it's it's difficult it's not like oh it's a happy movie about these vietnam vets i mean there are shades of that you know throughout but it's really it's really dramatic and it really makes you think and um yeah i can't recommend it enough i really can't
1: absolutely so any other final thoughts not really yet just yet again as we keep on repeating ourselves on this podcast watch a bunch of movies like they and and i you know there's been a lot of talk now just like okay this is a this is an ongoing process right educating yourself and becoming anti-racist as as white people or as just generally as not black people um is is an ongoing process it's not something you can do in a week it's not something that is just gonna you know it shouldn't be a trending topic that then you know moves on at some point um But there are so many great films by black filmmakers about black people that it is it's very important to kind of seek those out and to try to actually think about the world in a different perspective from a different perspective and to understand it. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to like everything that you see, but even if you don't like it, maybe try to consider why it might be important. And, uh, why, and maybe why don't you like it? You know, is it because it's not a well-made film or is there something else at play here? And, uh, and then also just to, to do your best to shut up and listen, um, when you can.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. We have to shut up and listen to other people and, and not just like, let them talk, actually listen to what they're saying and then use that to help educate some of your you know some of the people around you and Mm -hmm. i mean don't fight with your racist uncle that's not going to get you anywhere but (laughs) there are other people who are kind of teetering and they don't understand some of the problems but they're open to it like those are the people that you can reach out to and, and talk to and and that's how we're going to um band together and make real lasting change and um You know, some of the some of the companies have films that you can watch for free right now and they've curated collections. Criterion Channel has some films in front of their paywall. Amazon Prime does, too, where you can watch that are uh, films from black filmmakers, really important stuff that, yeah, like Lauren said, you don't have to like everything. You don't have to like any of it, but educate yourself. There are lots of things I learned in school that I didn't like, but it was still good. You know, it's good for you. But there are really great films there to watch. Netflix also has a Black Lives Matter collection. Just go through and and just experience these perspectives and, and challenge your thinking and share them with other people. Yep. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap things up for this week. We've talked a lot. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, We hope that you found something valuable. Um, And, uh, yeah, if you have some recommendations of films, that would be great. We'd love to hear them. Um, And I wish I had prepared ahead of time because I would have probably made some recommendations. I mean, watch Selma. Watch Malcolm X. Watch, you know, some of those big ones. There are people who just haven't seen them and they're available right now. But then there's also other lesser known things too that you can just kind of discover just flip the wheel just just you know just kind of scroll through and land on something and just watch it don't care about don't worry about what it is or who it's by just check it out and watch it it can be a really interesting experience to do that do you have any recommendations
1: i mean i keep on repeating this so many different times (laughs) i've repeated it to so many different people please go onto the criterion collection and look at the pioneers black uh our african-american filmmakers collection because there's so Mm -hmm. many interesting films there many of them yes some of them are are fragments and things like that i was really disappointed there was a great film by uh oscar michaud on there called um the symbol of the unconquered which is a really well-made film and everything but unfortunately the climax is missing (laughs) it's it's a (gasps) there is no like you what you get is this insert card but apparently the climax involved a black man annihilating the KKK with bricks. And I was like, how dare you? How dare you I need to lose? see that. <laughs> how dare you lose this section of the film? Um, but mm-hmm. the film is very, very good. Uh, otherwise, even without that, but it would have been really nice to have that. But but seriously, there's so many interesting films that are up there. And it's, again, I think it's always interesting to look at Hollywood history and recognize the fact that there are a lot of films that were made that were made with primarily black casts. Mm -hmm. um and that were actually being made in order to appeal to black audiences and these were very often very low budgeted films but some of them are are amazing and uh and you're talking about filmmakers that really don't get their due and don't get spoken of in the same breath as um as some of the classic filmmakers but but they they deserve to be watched and many of them are available right now uh you know watch charles Mm -hmm. burnett's films who's much later filmmaker but um uh a number of his ones watch the watermelon woman by cheryl uh donier um which i finally got to see uh, i've not seen it for ages and then i was like you know what i this is a major blind spot for me i need to sit down and watch it um uh, and and so yeah just kind of watch around and see what looks interesting you know if it's if it's like oh this is a movie about a, a jazz drummer okay fine watch a movie about a jazz drummer and this sounds cool you know uh mm-hmm and and i don't think that it's necessarily simply engaging with you know quotation marks important films it's engaging with films that are different from the kinds of films you tend to watch films yeah. that maybe are representing a different kind of life and a different perspective than you're used to and that can just be a movie about you know two people falling in love and getting married that's fine that it doesn't necessarily have to be an important film about you know an important event Um, but it's important to, to engage with all of those things.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for listening and thank you, Lauren, for being here as always. Um, if you'd like to continue the conversation and we hope you will, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod on Facebook. We're there occasionally once in a while. That's facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. You can email us, citizendamepod at gmail.com, and you can find us on our website, citizendamepod.com. Super clever here. Uh, if you would like to kick us uh, some money, we've got our Ko-Fi account, co-fi.com/slash citizendame, and, and our Patreon. You can sign up and support the show. That is patreon.com/slash citizendame. Of course, with you know, well, in general, we don't expect anyone to pay to listen to us, but uh, we also especially understand that times are hard for people right now. And uh, so we don't expect anything from anybody, but we do really appreciate the people that contribute and help keep things going. And uh, that includes Heather, Adriana. The Crooked Table Podcast, Michael, James, Katie, Carriotta, Mason, Matthew, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. Thank you all so much. Um, We do have our Zazzle store, Zazzle.com slash Citizen Dame. I know I promised that there would be Citizen Dame masks. In the store, that's gonna happen today. So, well, by the time you're listening to this, they're already there. So, uh, sorry that took a little bit longer than I meant, but uh, they're there just in time for my county to say you don't have to wear them anymore, but whatever, it's fine. Um, but you do, but and... you do, you do. But yes, like don't <laughs> listen to a bunch of elected officials who bow to peer pressure from the community. Wear your masks and get them from Citizen Name. So, uh, also, you can talk to us individually. Lauren, where are you?
1: I am at LH Business
0: and I am at Karen M. Peterson. Thank you all so much for listening, and have a good week.
1: Bye. Black GI. In Memphis, Tennessee, a white man assassinate Dr. Martin Luther King. Dr. King
0: also opposed the U.S. war in Vietnam.
1: Black GI, your government, send 600,000 troops to crush the rebellion. Your soul sister and soul brothers are enraged in over 122 cities. They kill them. Why you fight against us? So far away from where you are needed.